Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Um, thank you so much, Julia, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles for speaking on John's campaign. And I'll get you just to, before we start, to say a little something about yourself and, of course, about John's campaign. Well, thank you very much for, for having me. It's actually very exciting to be part of something you know, that, that, that stretches so, so many thousands of miles. Um, but I think um, you know, that what we're talking about here are human truths and, and sort of challenges of, of the, the, the clash between the individual and the corporate um, and, and, the, and the feeling and um, oh, the sort of the dead hand of officialdom, I'm afraid. Um, but no, John, John's campaign um, is, is myself and my friend Nikki. And we started several years ago when Nikki's father, um, who was living with dementia, had to go into hospital for something very minor. Um, but because there was a norovirus outbreak in that hospital, they took that knee-jerk action of saying, all right, no visitors. Um, and Nikki's family wish they had never listened. They wish they'd, they'd challenged this um, because their father, who'd been, who was 86, he was a doctor, he'd been living well with Alzheimer's. You know, he could, he could, you have a conversation, you know, give you a game of chess, you know. Um, but in, once he was in the hospital with, without his family and away from his familiar surroundings, he simply, as Nikki says, went off a cliff. Um, he, he, he lost his ability to move, to speak, to recognize, to be continent, to feed himself. He lost a third of his body weight. And this was so fast. Um, and, and of course, he must have been suffering from a delirium, but not the sort of delirium, you know, where, where you get, you know, very obviously distressed, but that one where you just lie very, very quietly. And of course, nobody would have known that that wasn't his normal self and so by the time his family discovered what was happening they were saying oh well he better stay longer for rehabilitation and of course that was entirely entirely the wrong thing and and he never recovered um he was in the hospital for five weeks when it should have been you know sort of two or three days um and he had to have 24 hour care because when you're living with dementia if you don't use those faculties your, your well-being and 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 your your practiced use of the things you can still do are just absolutely vital so we started the campaign that in the same way as if a child is in a hospital a parent is welcome and essential in fact um, we said that that should be the same for anybody who was vulnerable we, we particularly focus on people living with dementia um, but we don't forget that the many people you know who are vulnerable for, for many and I really don't really like that word, vulnerable. They, they just have particular needs, um, which can be best satisfied um, by having somebody who knows them really well and who can help them, you know, communicate. So that's what we did. Um, we're, not, we're not a charity. We're not paid. We're not full-time. We just, um, I suppose we just advocate. Um, but we find that we're able to speak for a lot of other people who have... Um, experience the same thing so I think that's where the power of John's campaign comes from you know we're just a sort of mouthpiece um Nikki's a particularly wonderful writer so that's you know a particularly great help um and so over the course of the next few years we did persuade um all the hospital trusts um to make a voluntary pledge um to say uh, we will always welcome the carers of people with dementia or, or we will always welcome carers which was a better one um and and you know we, we we thought that that was that was um you know going quite well but the trouble is because it was a voluntary pledge um it very much depended on the people who'd made the pledge the degree of understanding and ownership from them and their colleagues and you know whether they then moved jobs so in the pandemic we have sadly found that quite a number of hospitals have forgotten um, their pledges and, and people, um, carers, are routinely turned away. We have found um, 
luckily that, that when I remind, if I ask somebody, I say, okay, okay, what hospital is it? And I said, well, actually, I think if you find, if you talk to the lead dementia nurse there and you remind her of her John's campaign pledge, um, you know, so that, that it has meant something and it continues to mean something, but it's not the, it's, it's not what it should be, you know, really in hospitals as in anywhere else, including care homes, which I will come to. <laughs> People who are living with something like dementia are living with a disability. Therefore, by law, by the you know, uh, Equality Act over here, um, they should have particular accommodations made, um, reasonable adjustments made, um, so that the, the disadvantages that they're condition gives them you know can be compensated for so actually john's campaign shouldn't have needed to be there in hospitals it should legally be there anyway um but there we are we never thought that this would be needed in care homes because at that point um uh, nikki's father had been living at home and, and cared for at home and my mother was living in what's called very sheltered accommodation which meant it was sort of like like you know you, you rent a little flat um and, and carers come in um a couple of times a day um but we started to hear from people that whilst they had been welcomed in the hospital to be involved in care and you know and i might might mean properly involved in care you know like like helping to you know change a continence pad you know do actual hands-on stuff if they if they chose to there's no obligation it's a choice you know um carers do stuff out of love and they must only do what they feel comfortable with doing um otherwise it's, it doesn't work um so we were finding that that people who'd been welcomed to care in hospital when the hospital had signed up to john's campaign then perhaps if the person um you know they they looked after wasn't able to come home because illness you know doesn't stop um, and ha then had to go into residential care they were suddenly finding all sorts of um, unfriendlinesses un unwelcomenesses so at that point we, we started um, a, a different sort of campaign um, but a sort of a more a sort of hearts and minds campaign um, and I was the one of us more involved with this nikki had better knowledge of hospitals um because my mother's dementia then became so distressing um that she couldn't continue to live in um extra care um she needed to go where there were you know carers on hand 24 hours um of of the day and, and that was a terrible moment and i think everybody who's it had that moment in their lives has found it a very difficult one and because i'm not an optimist i kept saying look if we manage this right it's just a change of address it's just your illness needs this special care you're moving from a place without the special care to another home that has this additional level of care and i truly believe that's what it should be like just a change of address but you also have to remember that for many people it's a last change of address therefore it's terribly important that it shouldn't be a goodbye at the door like the old workhouse or something um it it, it should be a sort of a, a, a watershed maybe but but somewhere where you know you, you reevaluate your relationship you, you work out you know which things you need still to be involved with and do um and I was so lucky, I now realise, um, that, that when my mother, um, she lived the last two and a half years of her life um, in nursing care, and I was in there twice a day. I made friends in there. I, I helped, I think, I, well, I know, and the staff would agree, um, that, that, that I helped enormously, you know, because I could spend three quarters of an hour persuading mum to eat one bit of toast, exactly. or, or I could, I could, I could, I could brush her teeth, you know, where she would bite somebody else who wanted to brush her teeth because she was frightened. Um, she was terribly frightened. And, and that's the awful thing about dementia for many people is, is, is you know, the person is, is so frightened um, and, and so, so low in themselves that you get a whole new understanding of, of 
the term well-being and 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 what constitutes well-being and, and why it's different from health and, and you can't halt this terminal illness but you can do your best to support well-being yes um so when we got to last march in in, in this country um and and families were simply um turned away i find it very hard very hard to believe um that this would happen but it did thank you for that and so with this and i want to continue on that is with this in this pandemic the fact that family caregivers have been turned away how are how is you know how is your the john's campaign managing with all the inquiries that are coming in as to how families should mobilize themselves and how do they move forward with this um well you know we 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 do what we can do um Nikki had written a wonderful book um, called What Dementia Teaches Us About Love. Um, and that had come into paperback um, just, you know, last spring. Um, so it was very easy for her to have a platform and to say very clearly, and, and you know, there's a video clip of her saying it on BBC, that for people living with dementia, there are worse things. And, and I think it was very brave and right of her to say it at that point because at that point we were all very scared of COVID-19 we all thought it would be like the black death and the you know the plague and you know all, all, all of that um and she said um that disconnection was worse for people with dementia potentially it was worse than the risk of infection um but so that was our case i wrote quite a lot about what an essential family carer did because families come you know, as as everybody knows in 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 all shapes and sizes like you know care homes and care staff and and people who live in care homes you know we're, we're just a mass of individuals every time you generalize you're going to make a mistake um but so there are there are um people um like 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 me and and others like me but perhaps perhaps not the majority who went in daily and did either hands-on physical care or essential emotional care, just as important. Um, so, so that's one type of caregiver. And it became apparent to me that people, many people were simply unaware that this was what families did. It, 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 care staff might know, managers and providers and people at the Department of Health had absolutely no idea that somebody like me would go and clean my mum's teeth twice a day. You know, they just, they just didn't know what, what family carers did. And, and so I felt very early on um, that, that what we needed was what um, some friends in hospitals in Scotland had established for their hospitals, um, which is a, a, a my visiting plan that when anybody moves in to residential care, and like in these particular hospitals, it was anybody arrives at hospital, um, there's, there's a form, what would, you, what would you like, you know, you the person who's moving in, you know, what, what would you like for your visit? Who matters to you? Um, what might they do? And, and, you know, of course, there's any number of permutations on that. So come the pandemic, I, I would also have added a little bit to the bottom to say, and, and what's the situation? of the person you know who might be visiting because again we vary so much but again i think it hasn't fully been realized um that for many people um the people who are the most distressed by all this because we have to remember that there are quite a lot of families who are not distressed by this um but for those of us who are distressed by this there were people perhaps an elderly spouse who whose life revolved round going in to see their husband or wife every afternoon and perhaps they were quite doddery themselves you know perhaps they couldn't you know hop up and down and you know help make the bed or you know do anything like that but the very fact that they came was central to their own self-respect and their feeling that they were fulfilling the really important pledges that were made I think the way that people's 
personal commitments have been just knocked aside. I think that's terribly damaging. Just when somebody moves in to live in residential or long-term care, you know, if you love them, you say, look, it's just a change of address. I'm still there for you. I still love you. You need this extra help because you're ill and neither of us can do anything about that, but don't worry, I'll be there for you. And that matters absolutely in your heart and in your head. And if you're somebody who've married somebody and you've said, I'm going to love and cherish you till death do us part, that matters in your heart and your head. And I am appalled that that has been knocked out. And the stingy language, oh, we know this is so difficult for you. It's not difficult. It's crucifying. It's, it's absolutely, I, I don't see how we can look ourselves in the face, face and say we are an ethical society. I, I just wonder what principles we're living by. You know, if, if so that, that, was, that, was, that was my feeling, um, that, that there were quite simple practical things that could be done. Um, people's individual relationships could be looked at and inspected and, and, and respected, sorry. And for the people who don't have nearby family um that, that they would then you know need that extra help and i've always thought that in good times and bad that the, the people who don't have anybody coming in need something to make them feel individual and special and the people whose families maybe came in once a week on a sunday afternoon that matters too you know so all these this range of things could easily have been looked at if people looked at individuals, if they didn't look at masses, if they didn't look at, the, oh gosh, there's, you know, there's nearly half a million care home residents. No, there's a half a million individual people who happen to live in care home. You know, they're not a different species called residents. You know, they're just people living in a place. <laughs> anyway, um, so that was, that, was, um, that was our cry actually right from the beginning. And, and um, I think... I think other people will will say that 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 it just so happened because it's Nick, Nikki and I just Nikki and I we were able to be quick um, we were able to say what we thought we didn't have to consult anybody we said what we thought right from the beginning um, and and you know did I, and and because we were already there we were all, I'd had a meeting in February with a whole group of care home managers trying to see how we could um you know give more you know have have a better experience for families in care homes you know um so so we were there and and so we were able to be active Um, but it wasn't until into the summer that we actually resorted to lawyers before that we tried politicians we tried uh, bishops i wrote to all the bishops all the bishops in england i wrote to um didn't really get anywhere but you know so going back to the summer, so back, because I know back in July 2020, yep. the government changed the laws to allow for the local councils to have the powers. And how did that change? Did that make it a little bit better at that time? No, it made it much, much worse. Um, we had, we, in, in July, um, we got together with the other dementia charities uh, and we collectively wrote a letter to the government because care homes had had a, a pretty awful time. Um, they, they, they'd not been well supported in practical ways. They'd been blitzed by um, conflicting guidance and advice. Um, they had ma- mainly been keeping families out. They'd had a lot of deaths. They were very traumatized and they needed a nice firm steer to say, look, it's okay, we're behind you welcome the families in um you know this this is this is what you should be doing trust us and what they got uh, so we wrote to the government we didn't get an answer of course um but you know it's a way of putting on pressure um eventually in at the end of july this dreadful bit of guidance came out that was so badly written it was incoherent you, you really couldn't i i i myself worked with um a, a group called the National Care Forum, and, and we'd, we'd put out some guidance earlier for, for care providers, um, which we hoped, you know, would, would be a sort of model of the sort of thing, you know, you could have, you know, like, like having individual um, appreciations of people. Um, we've done that. Um, one or two good companies like the Methodist 
Homes for the Aged, um, had um, put out um, some ideas for essential family carers. You know, the thing, things were out there. But the, the quality, I was really shocked because, you know, in, in, in England, we, we like to sort of think, oh, we've got such good civil servants. Well, quite honestly, Wendy, they were rubbish, <laughs> absolute rubbish. It was so badly written, absolutely impossible to understand. You could get anything you liked out of it. Um, so, in fact, you know, there were the good things that, that we'd, that we'd um, shoved in from the National Care Forum. You know, they, they were all yeah. in there. You didn't have to do anything. Nothing had to be done. And then there was this sudden, um, out of the blue, saying, oh, and by the way, local directors of public health can just step in to close down um, care home um, visiting if they want to. And no care homes should be doing visiting without the say-so direct. Which is just plain bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. When you're talking about people, individual people, living with a multiplicity of conditions and what I would argue is the most intimate of all illnesses. Dementia attacks the brain that people have been, they've been constructing. You know, you and I, every day we construct a bit of our brains. Um, you know, somebody who's living in a care home has been constructing their brain all their life through all their experiences all their relationships and then this illness comes and attacks the physical makeup of their brain so obviously they're going to um it, it, it is the most individual and intimate um you know brain illness is um awful so how some blessed director of public health you know understanding an awful lot about bacteria and infections and drains and things you know should then take it upon him or herself to to pronounce upon the individual well-being of these thousands of men and women it's just appalling anyway there we are um th that was a very bad time and what was really bad was it meant that those summer months you know June, July, August, September, when there was fresh air, when infection rates were dropping, they were wasted, completely wasted. It was heartbreaking. I, I, I went to so many meetings and I said, we must help people, we must build up people's resilience, build up their, their, their sense of themselves, their confidence. And it didn't happen. And for instance, there was no, um, no guidance on how people would be able to come out of a care home, you know, like to, to go for a walk in the countryside or, or you know, go and sit in your daughter's garden or, yes. or, you know, walk by the river, anything. And so there was an imprisonment that, that, that has continued pretty well to this day. And, and that's a very shocking thing in itself. Yeah, because I mean, I know that we did see some indications over the summer that um, some people were able to at least visit outside, but they had these constructions outside of the building sometimes or window visits. Is that correct as well in some oh. locations? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This, 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 this idea that, that, you know, looking through the window at somebody counts as a visit. I mean, you know, they're, 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 they're pushing language a bit here. You know, that's not a yeah. visit. <laughs> And, no. to say, and to say that, that um, you know, trying to do Skype or FaceTime with, with somebody who doesn't understand it, that, that is apparently a visit. Well, it's not, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm not visiting you, you know. Exactly. And, and we're able to understand each other. We've, we've struggled, but we've got yes. our heads around the technology. Um, but, you know, in a few years time, I'm not going to be able to, you know, I, I, I find it, you know, quite difficult now. If, if my mum couldn't use a mobile phone. No, it's, yeah. um, it's all those different challenges and now just recently with the in january the 6th uh 2021 where the government made changes to regulation number three in terms of the visitation and they acknowledged the essential caregiver like is this be still is this now being acknowledged by the local councils or is this still what you would experience back in the summer well in september was 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 when we actually um, hired lawyers and and we had a crowdfunded campaign and and you know people put money into a legal pot. Um, so in September um, we started asking for a judicial review because the guidance was so bad that it was actually illegal um, because it forgot things like the Equality Act. You know you cannot 
issue guidance for a huge group of disabled people without any reference to the Equality Act. It also missed out on the Mental Capacity Act because people, family members have responsibilities and should be consulted and are not being consulted. But the government guidance forgot that. It also forgot the little matter of Human Rights Act and, and keeping things proportionate. And also we have a thing called the Care Act, um, which, which you know, says, says that care homes have a duty to promote well-being. Um, so, you know, just as, as you were saying when we were chatting earlier about how people deteriorate, you know, this, the evidence was absolutely clear, you know, by, by, by late spring, it was absolutely this massive deterioration and the excess deaths were absolutely, you know, couldn't be argued with. So we then, you know, went through a sort of legal process and actually it was by late October, November, when we, the country was moving into another sort of lockdown, but actually the guidance from the Department of Health and Social Care got better. It reminded people that there are laws and it reminded people that they should observe these laws. And it absolved itself from responsibility um, in, in not a very responsible way, but it did remind care providers. Um, and it did start to say that the role of directors of public health was to advise and support, not just to close down. But that's not a message that's really got out there. Um, and actually, by December, it seemed that the message had got through. The guidance was much better. Um, test kits were sent into care homes specifically to, for families to use so they could have proper indoor visits they could maybe even hold somebody's hand um, but at that point we did a survey um, because you know sadly we've discovered that there's a big gap between you know the, the public rhetoric and the individual experience and and you know and our survey told us um, that individual because um, the, the guidance was now in advocating individual um, risk assessments and care plans, in fact, and this was simply not happening. Um, so that was all rather depressing. Um, it, 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 we had about a thousand people responding to the survey. We've, we've given it to anybody who wants it. We, we try to offer it to Health Watch, to you know, anybody who wants it can have the data. We also sent the data to the five biggest care home providers because we, we noticed that their results were significantly worse um, because they're, they're well just because of the way they are with them it does make you think a lot about how um, you know care is is um, structured um, yes. in this country um, but it it's been since Christmas that that the the gloom has has there was this moment of hope you see the moment of hope um, that that despite the tiering restrictions across the country despite the fact that infections were on the rise again that the particular needs of people living in care homes had been recognized and, and some people did experience you know proper indoor hand-holding visits and that was shown on the telly and everybody felt hopeful but the cruel truth was that that was still only a small proportion and since the beginning of January even that has been pretty well wiped out though the guidance the guidance has got better it's just it's just you know you couldn't make it up <laughs> oh my so i guess with your legal campaign mm. that really did help in terms of being able to change in terms of the guidance is that correct very kindly other people um, have, have said if John's campaign hadn't gone to law about it, the changes wouldn't have happened. Um, but, you know, then other groups like Rights for Residents have been absolutely terrific on their sort of, you know, Daily Mail media campaign. You know, they, they've really worked at the public awareness. And the Relatives and Residents Association, you know, have solidly put their case to things like parliamentary committees. They, they've done very well 
on that and they have a you know a sort of advice line you know and and you know some some proper properly funded proper advice so there's there's you know different groups of us and of course the charities like age uk and the alzheimer's society you know they they they, they also work in in their different way and yes so so recently we, we we came together quite quietly just just a half a dozen of us and you know evaluated the situation we feel that if only and i know that everybody's saying this if if there was some sort of exit strategy and and that's not being unrealistic and you know, that's understanding that you know there are new and developing strains of the virus all these you know, dreadful things but it still wouldn't be beyond the wit of 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 man in this what now seems like a relatively small group of people to start with you know 440,000 care home residents you know, it seemed like a large group of people actually you know when you think about eight million school children it seems like quite a small group of, of people and and you know there are absolutely clear ways in which they could be helped it's it's it, it's all there it, it just it could be done and the messages about the vaccine need to be very much clearer we're now told um that that all are over 80s who consent and that's a bit of an a bit of a thing but all the over 80s who consent will have been vaccinated had their first vaccination by the middle of february now that's you know that sounds great but then in the next breath we're told but it won't make any difference and so we say but why not why not you know if this matters if these are people living often in the last year or years of their lives if they've been prioritized um, for injections then kick the ball into the net make it make a difference don't just do it and say oh, well we've done it but it didn't make any difference make it make a difference and that's not impossible exactly and then like how is that whole vaccination rollout going for care homes for essential caregivers is that being done together or is that seen as separate well sadly wendy the whole concept of essential caregiver hasn't really um hasn't really grasped it at all um so only this morning i was i was looking on twitter and and i was seeing you know my friend vic rayner saying you know great news um care home staff are going to be able to self-test at home there's going to be you know a clear um you know structured regime for this and everything made available and i just thought no mention no mention of families it's as if we just don't count for a lot of the time last year i was just shouting at the telly because they said care home residents and staff care home residents and staff and no there's three people in this relationship there's care home residents there are care home staff and there are the people who make those people's life worth living and and i sometimes just say let's just see who matters most here if it were not for the people who had gone to live in this place those staff those companies wouldn't be in business Th those people's wishes should be absolutely prioritized and and they're adult people they're our most senior citizens some of them are people you know who who lived with us through the who fought for us in in the second world war these should be the people for whom we feel absolute respect however ill their brains have become and and what they want should be what we should do and and the, the, not keep them safe as if as if they're they're sort of babies or eggs or or something they have they're adults and we forget that no that's that's so true because it just won't as I, as I said to you before, it's just very heartbreaking to see what is happening and the, I guess you could say the lack of respect that yeah. is going on as well. It's a massive lack of respect. So I know that you had mentioned as well that you're working with different groups, such as Rights for Residents, in terms of getting the information out um, to family members. How is that going? Like, what else are you doing with those? I know you mentioned another group, but how is that going, your work with those groups? Um. I think everybody does their own thing. I mean, I also work with other groups. I've got a, a little group of care home um, managers 
um, and and I consult them. I've got various groups of of family members who I consult um, because I now. I, I no longer have a mother living in a care home. You know, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a social care professional. So, you know, I need to listen to what people are saying and I need to, you know, think about it and express it. And, you know, I, I, I've no wish to demonize the care home sector because, you know, there are some wonderful people in there. And, and you know, I have friends, um, you know, who who work in there as well as friends who live in there or friends who have other people living in there. I, I think everything that um, splits us up is a bad thing. But on the other hand, we can all only do what we can do. Um, and, and so I, I think, I think, you know, Jenny and Diane at Rights for Residents have, have become absolutely brilliant at supporting the people who go directly to them they're just families they they you know they, they're not hospitals they're not care home managers they're not anything else they're just family and they do you know a really fabulous advocacy job um but you know then then i look at um you know my friend vic at the national care forum and you know and and i see you know what she's trying to do and what we have to find are the points um of of contact and i think a point of contact that we can all feel and the charities I'd like to feel that the government even might think this, I don't know, that this must never happen like this again, that we have something has to shift that, that we can, you know, never um, have this degree of distress. We've, we've, we've got a massive, a massive reckoning to come with, with people's emotional health and, and their self-esteem and their, deep, deep grief and bereavement. Um, and we, we, we don't, you know, as I said to you, I'm, I'm, I'm 66. I get my state pension. Eventually, you know, I expect, because I'm, you know, I'm a woman, um, I'm not, I'm very healthy in, in lots of ways. I'm very likely to get dementia. Um, and, and, my mum always used to say, you know, I know it's, it's not PC to say you suffer with dementia, but you do suffer. And, and that was the, the word. She, she wrote us a letter, which we sent to all the hospitals um, it, when, when we, we began the campaign. And, and I can see this happening to me. I don't want to blight the life of my family. I want, I want to, in, in, in so many ways, moving into um, a care home is a, a dignified, it should be a dignified and loving thing to do because you're saying to your dear ones, look, I'll, I'll be okay. You get on with your lives. And they say to you, but mum, yes, we have our lives to leave, but we still love you. Don't worry. We'll be there. That's how it should be, you know, and, and, and that's, it's not unachievable. And it's what surely we would all, of course, you know, I would like to think that I'm not <laughs> going to get, yeah. get and, and, you know, dementia, you know, then happens in so many ways. My mother was, was um, very post-traumatic from her wartime experiences. Therefore, she became very paranoid, very violent and, and, and distress, you know, her, her distress was, was her emotions were extreme. Um, she had a very healthy body, so she was very vigorous, but, you know, it, she, she was extraordinarily, um, extraordinarily alive um, whilst being extraordinarily ill. Um, so, you know, that it wasn't a happy moment when she moved in and she was very, very angry, very angry with me. Um, but it worked out for us. And as I was telling you, her death was a good death and, and you know that's the sort of dignified and loving death that I would want for myself. And talking like further on that with the with with what is happening and the fact that let's say family members are not able to have be there for the last moments of their loved ones during this pandemic. So they're not experiencing or they're not being or taking part of in that good death. What are you hearing about that as well with this pandemic? Well, I mean, the, the one success 
we did have early on um, was in May of last year when there was a very clear directive um, from um, Matt Hancock that people were to be um, you know, allow, allow, uh, allowed in to say goodbye. Um, so it, it's, that, that, that was a clear, um, a clear directive. But of course, death doesn't really listen to that. Death doesn't say, oh, well, fine. So it'll be convenient for you to call between nine and five Monday to Friday, will it? Fine. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll die then, then. Um, because there's been so many awful things of, of, of you know, um, people saying, oh, well, we were going to call the family in, but she just died. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's quite bad. Um, and and the the important thing, um, which I, I do think uh, uh, there has been a shift, a major shift in the Department of Health and Social Care. If you read the most recent guidance, it's really strong on the fact that end of life is a phase of life. It's not the single moment of dying. It's like saying, you know, that that infancy, you know, the early childhood is is a phase of life, and uh, you know, a, a, an infant. Let's call the person that um you know it is maybe that covers you know the first year or two um of of a person's life it's different from the act of birth um the act of death is is a specific you know <laughs> if you don't get it right this time you've got no more chances um that's it but the end of life period is the period when you do have a chance to get it right and and you do have a chance to to um get it emotionally right but also as, as we were you and I were talking earlier um, a loving family member if he or she wishes can be such a practical help because death can be a very slow process and and you know and you don't know when it's going to come and you know you can sit there for a week but during that week you will be observing that person. So from your point of view, that's good because this is the last time you're going to see that person. So you're drinking them in as, as you watch them. And it's the time that they know, however far away they might seem, somewhere, I think, because the sense of hearing goes last, I think they know that you're there with them. Uh, I, this time last year, I was sitting with my mother-in-law in, in hospital and it suddenly dawned on me and I don't know how it dawned on me. She was a very religious woman that I should be reading prayers to her. And so sort of, you know, I got hold of a prayer book from somewhere and read it to her and it made a difference to her and it made a difference to me. And, and when the moment passed, then I put the prayer book away again but there were also practical things um, when people are dying that the saliva gets very sort of thick and horrible. Um, and if you're there, you can either, if you're very expert, try to remove it yourself, or you can call a nurse and say, look, I'm sorry, but it's really bubbly now. She's really getting distressed by it. And the nurse with her expertise can say, oh, fine, I'll put a little bit more of you know, whatever the stuff is um and and you know it's, it's it's the same with with pain you're there you're watching you can see when a little bit of morphine is needed you go and ask for it a nurse can't sit there for the week that it might take you know it's 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 so silly we're, we're, we're our hospitals our care homes the staff are run ragged and and if it was a war we would be turning around and we're saying, okay, um, you know, the, the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, you know, they're, they're absolutely at their extremes. Come on, chaps, you can help. Why are we not doing that? You know, we, we, we can help. We, we would help. And it would make us feel better to help. You know, even if it was something really very, very minor, we would like to help. And it's yes. so silly not to. And, and that's where you feel that, uh, you know, initial connection. So you don't, because as you mentioned before, there's a lot of distress added. And a lot of people will feel guilt if they were not there for their loved ones as well. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah oh I, I think that the, the huge internal pain that that's that's being caused is is really um unbelievable um it, it's 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 not something i, I could ever it, it, it have imagined before um and and of course one has to remember that all families are different not everybody loved their mum um and not everybody wished to maintain a connection you know with the husband when he became violent with dementia you know you, you can't legislate for everybody but what we're not doing is is recognizing um the 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 choices of people and their own responsibility for their own um their own consciences um and, and their own um you know people they do care about and, and and that's a very wrong thing to do and that's something i don't think i'm not sure i've ever seen that because that's not what happens in a war um i'm, I'm a writer I'm, I'm i'm writing about world war ii at the moment and and you know so that helps me you know keep things in proportion um but the the, the differences are absolutely stark, stark you know and, and in wartime everybody had to do their bit in this we're just told everything is negative you know you, you must just stay away you must not do anything you mustn't go and see your mother you know you mustn't bother the care home you mustn't take little parcels to the door don't do anything and that's a very inhumane and very difficult and very damaging thing which which i don't think as a social experiment i don't think that's really been tried before you know telling people no. to do nothing exactly not no and would you say for the care homes that are either in a major city or the ones that are rural are they both experiencing the same thing and having this the same stressors um it's it's an extraordinarily complex picture um but i i do believe um that the quality of the manager of the care home is the single most important factor um but having said that you know i accept that some care homes in the early stages when the virus was particularly virulent in certain areas um, did have you know a particularly awful time so you know no doubt they're post-traumatic themselves um, but if you were to ask me to look across the whole of the four countries of the united kingdom i would say that the care homes that are very centrally managed they're in a large chain um, and their managers have been told you do what you know you do what head office tells you i think they're a particular case which we really should be looking rather hard at and that's not to say they don't have some very very good people in those head offices um, but again i come down to the quality of the individual choice um and it, you know it next door to each other you can see care homes um one is coping and one is not and and i i, I i'm not putting it all down to individual managers um because some of them are having to manage with their hands tied behind their back and some of them um are working in places where staffing has been so ground down um you know that that they've not got that 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 you know that quality back up um and and yeah some of them are working in places where the virus has been particularly virulent but that was more obvious last year this year i think i think it's it's pretty well everywhere but there are still people who are coping better than other people so I take it then you would say for the ones that are, let's say, run by change, which are for profit, hmm. are probably more damning, damaging than the ones that are non-for-profit at this point. Is that becoming clear? I think it is. 
I think it is. Um, I don't want to say that um, because because when my mother um, when my mother was was living in her um, place, it was to start with. It was owned by a relatively small company, and it had a very good manager who was able to do as she thought best. And she had a very good stable staff, and she listened. You know, and it just all fine. And then it was taken over by a very big company. And although my personal relationships with the carers um, and with the other people who lived there were fine, and I did meet, and I still know, very good people who work in their head office, somehow the experience of corporate management was extraordinarily damaging and it went from being you know a care home rated good to a care home in the requires improvement bracket in about 12 months and so that's not me saying that was the results speaking for themselves um i'm not saying that there are not types of corporate management which could release the um the, the, the talents of individuals, and that's what good management should be like. But unfortunately, the model of corporate management, which we tend to have, tends to be edicts sent out and um, very little um, encouragement for people to use their own initiative. And I, and I think that's a very great pity. Uh, but I think that would happen also if they were managed by the local council. So I've, I've, I've sat in, I've listened to um, local council members with their, I live in Essex, um, with the Essex, the few care homes that are managed by Essex. And I was frankly appalled, absolutely appalled. So I'm not saying that, that there's an easy answer there. I think care homes should be well managed, but not for profit. Um, you know, for, for, for working profit. So, you know, a working, and, and I do think that, that there are models, you know, that, that, that could be used. The, the, the big ones, it, it's almost like it's just a form of property management. You know, if you find some, something else to, you know, put in these, these great big places, you put something else in there. You happen, oldies happen to be quite profitable, but if they're not, well, we'll use it for something else. Exactly. And then, so take, taking on that, so in terms of the, model of care should that then be kind of uh, kind of like a similar to a, like a national standard as opposed to just uh regional standards set out for each care home um, I, I go back wendy to, to saying that these are places for individuals even a whole care home is uh, it's a community but it's a community of individuals. It's not a corporate entity. I know that, that, that somehow it, it must feel like that, but it isn't. It's the, the, the really, when, when my mother first moved into um, an extra care facility, um, I had a lovely conversation with the person who managed it. And, and she said, think of, think of this, think of that corridor as a street. Think, think of each door as going into somebody's individual house and, and they'll all be different um, and I, I would like and of course a care home itself is is not quite the same as that you don't for instance have a tenancy agreement but I think we do look have to look rather carefully at the contracts and and you know there's a sort of nitty-gritty and we must always remember I think that these are adults homes where yes, they need extra care, but they're not babies. Um, they, 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 you know, they, they are people um, who should still have agency, even if the agency has to be managed for them by somebody close to them. Um, that they're not a mass of amorphous folks to be sort of pushed around either in a you know beneficial way or a non-beneficial way. You know, you can you can still you. <laughs> Mum was awful. Um, she, she used to go sort of running off to, down to the river in her nighty, and people would sort of ring up. And, um, and, and in the end, um, we, we, we found a social worker who said, look, actually, you know, she still has a choice. If she wants to run down to the river in her nighty, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on her. You know, we might follow her at a discreet distance. Um, but 
she's still allowed to, it's a, probably a jolly silly idea but you know he's still allowed to do it and that seemed to me to be um you know a, a way to go really no definitely definitely to be more individualized to the actual yeah. person and that's uh that's the way so in regard i know you had mentioned many times about the dementia care so with with this pandemic we're not going to get to the end of it and probably not until the end of the year into maybe next year. So how now should dementia care um, be, be done going forward, especially during this pandemic? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the terribly sad thing. In, 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 in this country, over the last, I would say, I don't know, 10 years, or maybe it's more than 10 years now, there have been huge advances, I think, in the understanding of dementia. There has been a degree of destigmatization for dementia, but it seemed well. We hoped um, that that the understanding is that best dementia care puts the person with dementia at the centre, which is where they should be. Recognises that it's an illness, therefore this person needs professional medical help. It's it's it's. It's a physical illness manifesting itself in, you know, emotional and um, intellectual ways. And they also need support for their well-being because well-being, that indefinable quality, can either speed up or slow down dementia care. With, with COVID-19, you can have a vaccine. You can get COVID-19, you can get better. I think people forget how many people living in care homes have survived COVID-19. And, and, and nobody thought to, to say, oh, well, that, that's wonderful. I think you have a little bit of protection now. Why don't we have your daughter in? You know, that, that we, we need to be quite clear that dementia is incurable. There's no vaccine. It's terminal. Now, you can either make it worse or you can ease it along as best you can and how can anybody think that it's all right so oh well it's all right we'll just we'll just shut her away for a year or so um because then she'll be there well she won't be there um because because that's not how dementia works and and actually um there there is a lovely saying you know get it right for dementia and you get it right for everybody dementia is a, a sort of a, a version of humanity and, and if you treat everybody as if they might incipiently have dementia, because we've all got our own, you know, weaknesses and vulnerabilities and fears. If we treat everybody in, in that way, yes, you're a valuable person. Yes, you need medical care. You're worth it. You've earned it. Um, and yes, we still love you. Then you've, you've that's the best you can do for anybody, whether they've got dementia or not. Yeah, I think that's the best way, the best way to, to do it, because then you'll, you're, as you said, you'll have covered everybody. And in just in closing, what, you know, is there any other points that you wanted to just make in summary for John's campaign as to what else that you will be doing for the rest of the year during this pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> Every year, Nikki and I yeah. say to each other, I, I I think we can stop now. I think we can stop now. And we said that, we said that um, last year. I, I think we'll just do this legal. I think we can stop now. Um, I, I absolutely, I absolutely don't know. Um, I, I would like to work um, with, with the others um, to get a change in the law. On the other hand, you know, if they are paid, they do a job. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not, and, and, um, but then the other thing is the individual people who suddenly sort of ring up and, 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 and they're weeping down the phone. You know, I can't put that phone down. Um, you know, I, I, I think there should be other places for them to ring up and weep, but if they choose to ring up and, and, and weep to me, what can I do? Um, so therefore I need to keep myself up to date so that any, I try not to give advice, but if I give advice, I, I you know, I want it to be, I, I want to have read the latest guidance. Um, or I can just say to them, look, 
go talk to the relatives and the residents association. They've got a really good helpline. Um, but, you know, I, I need to, if I'm going to field individual distress, um, I need to have the useful knowledge. I would just like to get to a point when nobody rings up because they don't need to, because they're happy. Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Yes, absolutely. But I just wanted to thank you so much, Julie, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles and telling, you know, your story and um, your, you know, the, what is John's campaign? So everybody is aware of it and knows of it. So again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me.